Bibles, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I read something the other day. I I, I like to, I don't, I don't know, I I don't like to read long articles. You you know, I, I, I will... Uh, sometimes uh, when I'm on the internet, I'll I'll come across an article, and if it's short, uh, I'll, I'll usually read it. But real long ones, I'm I just kind of skip over them. I might skim them if I know the author or something. But anyway, I was reading something the other day, and and buried in this article was a story of of two men. And as I read the story of th- of these two men, it caused me to think about my own life. Uh, because uh, I think in some ways or another, uh, we're all guilty of this. But this, this story goes on that these two men uh, were talking. One of them was a Christian. The other one uh, is identified as a self-righteous man. And <clears throat> the self-righteous man uh, tells his friend John, the Christian, he says, he says, you know, I'm not such a bad guy. Uh, there are many worse than me. And the Christian looks at him and he says, Mike, he says, I have a, a, there's a problem here. You're measuring yourself by uh, the wrong standard. You measure yourself by the harlots and the drunkards you see on Skid Row. And you, and you feel quite satisfied of the comparison. But go measure yourself alongside Jesus Christ and see how well you measure up. And as I, as I, <clears throat> as I read this, this little story, I thought, how often do I do the same thing? You know, we have this tendency to compare ourselves or measure ourselves against other people. When in reality, the only person we should be measuring against is Jesus Christ. In fact, we are actually warned, Paul warns us not to do this. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses uh, uh, 12 and 13, it says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What 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 is the 21st century uh, term for that? It's stupid to do it. Don't do it, Paul says. He goes on, but we, uh, <clears throat> but we will not boast of the things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. In other words, God's given us a book to measure our lives by. This book is the measuring stick, or the, 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 the thing that we should be measuring our life by, and not by comparing ourselves with each other. God's measuring stick is much different than ours, is it not? 
living a balanced Christian life, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, and, uh, but living a balanced Christian life <clears throat> has nothing to do uh, with anybody but you and Jesus Christ. That's how we live a balanced Christian life. It doesn't matter what other people think, say, or do. It's all about what you think, say, and do. Let's read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, uh, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. For our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, uh, excuse me, word and work. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your your word, this this measuring stick, if you would, that we can use in our lives to see how balanced we are. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book of Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon uh, was, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, uh, one of the wisest men that has ever lived. God uh, endowed him with wisdom. And uh, the book of Proverbs, for, for the most part, was written by him to his son to pass along his wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 11, in verse 1, he writes this. He says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, now, this is literally talking about people in the marketplace who are cheating consumers. Okay, that, that's literally what this is talking about. Um, but we can apply this to our lives, can we not? Because a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. When we compare ourselves with, our, with others, then that is considered a false balance, is it not? But a just weight, or the Word of God, when we apply the Word of God to our life, it is something that pleases God. The book of Proverbs chapter 11 <clears throat> has many comparatives in it. Uh, and I just went through and just picked, I just picked three just to, to help you understand the, the principle that I'm trying to, trying to get across here. Uh, but I believe that Solomon was trying to teach his son balance in his life. And... Uh, chapter 11, again, there's a lot of comparative statements here. Well, really, the whole book of uh, Proverbs has comparative statements, but 11. Anyway, um, uh, 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 Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2 says, uh, When pride cometh, uh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Do you see the comparison there? 
the balance that is needed in in his life. Uh, Verse 5, the righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. And then we see it again in verse 11, by uh, by the blessing of the upright, uh, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. So there are a lot of comparisons here, and we're, we're going to be sharing some more about Solomon here in a few minutes, but <clears throat> living a balanced life. We started two weeks ago, we talked about believing the truth. Believing the truth, this book that God's given us, the, the, the rule, that, the, the measuring stick, if you would. Believing the truth. Last week we talked about guarding the truth. And this morning we're going to talk about living the truth. Living the truth. Look at verses 16 and 17. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. You know, it's one thing to believe the truth. It's another to guard the truth. And those are, those are good principles. But if we don't live the truth, all of that's for naught. We have to learn how to live the truth, how to take the truth and learn it and apply it and make it our own. In James chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, it says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Let's stop right there. What happens when we read or hear the, hear the truth and we, we do not act upon it. We do not make it part of our lives. We are hearers only. That's what Paul says. Or, or excuse me, James. <clears throat> That's what James says here uh, in James chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, and he, and he, what he's, what's he saying? Don't do that. You need to live the word. He goes on, For if uh, any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Uh, Let me give you the 21st century vernacular for what, what James just said. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe the Bible. But I'm going to do what I want to do, no matter what the Bible says. That's basically the 21st century version of what James just said. And what did James say? Don't don't be like that. Be a doer, not a hearer only. Unfortunately, that's where many Christians across our country are today. They are hearers only. Paul's desire for the Thessalonians here in these two verses we just read 
in verses 16 and 17, I see three desires. We're going to talk about these three desires. The, 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 the first one that we are going to talk about is what I would say is his ultimate desire. <clears throat> desire number one. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. In other words, everything that you say and everything that you do is important to God. Everything. Now, those of you that have been coming to Grace for, for any, any amount of time at all uh, can answer this question, but how much, how much of your life does God want? All of it. And what Paul is telling the, the, the Thessalonian believers here is that, that he personally is concerned with every word and work that they do. It is his desire that everything that they do be pleasing to God. Paul here is, <coughs> excuse me, clearly trying to get the believers to understand that God cares about it as well. So often we get into a thought life. Well, <coughs> I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And we forget about the fact that God cares about everything that we say and everything that we do. Our walk must align with what we say. If, we, if, our, if our speech is different than our our, our walk, we have a conflict. I came across a quote the other day <clears throat> I want to share with you. It says, Every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example instead of his advice. I like that. As a, as a father, I found that to be very true. Both of my kids... They don't, you know, they don't care what you say. They're going to do what you do. And occasionally they'll repeat something that you say and you're like, who taught you that? Well, I heard you say it. This quote we see played out in the Old Testament. Earlier I read Proverbs chapter 11 and I told you that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs to pass along his wisdom to his son. His son's name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam was, <clears throat> uh, well, let, before I get there, <clears throat> let, let me back up a little bit. Solomon was human. Okay? God God used Solomon in in a great way. <clears throat> Solomon wrote three books. Anybody can name them? Well, I gave you one, Proverbs. Okay, Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. Okay? 
through our men's Bible study that we've been doing, we learned that uh, Song of Solomon was written in his early years. Uh, Proverbs was meant, written in his, with, probably in his middle age. And Ecclesiastes was written in, as an old man before he died. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes admits saying in, in Ecclesiastes, he says, basically, I'm just going to paraphrase it. He says, you know what? Everything that my eye saw that I wanted, I got. He was incredibly wealthy. He, at the time, he was probably the richest man in the world. And anything he wanted, he got. But at the end of his life, he admits that it was all empty and vanity. It was, it was vain. There was, no, there, there was nothing in it for But he writes this book of Proverbs specifically for his son. The problem is he did not live what he wrote. Let me read you a section out of 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. And it says, He, that being Solomon, had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. What a nut. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and, and his wives, and say, now get this. Please get this, this last part of this, this verse. And his wives turned away his heart. And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God. And was, excuse me, as was the heart of David, his father. Solomon made a, a critical error, and he allowed the the all the <laughs> all these wives. Yeah, I'm trying to be very careful here. Uh, all of these wives turned his heart away from God. Now, if you go back and read the book of Proverbs, Solomon talks about, please, just go read it, okay? Uh, but he talks about women having the ability to do that very thing. And what did he do? He did not even follow his own advice. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, after Solomon died and Rehoboam took over the, the, the kingdom or the, the, the nation of Israel, was almost immediately confronted with a major conflict within the nation. And instead of following the advice of his father, he followed the footsteps of his father and chose wrong. And it split the nation in two and caused multiple problems. And we could go, I mean, that's a whole, that, that's a whole series of sermons right there. But his choices divided a nation because he followed the 
footsteps of his father instead of the advice of his father. We must be careful. God does not weigh our good works and our bad works to determine salvation. When we stand before God one day, we, we will not stand there. and God will say, hey, you know what? Uh, you, you know, you've been pretty good. The second half of your life, you did a whole lot better than the first half of your life. So I'm going to let you into heaven. That, that, that's not how it works. Our, 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 our ability to stand before an almighty God and, and, and gain entrance into heaven uh, is only through salvation in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with our good works and our bad works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing we can do to gain our own way to heaven. The only way we can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. John chapter 4 and verse 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, when a person compares themselves with others, they can then say, hey, look, I'm not such a bad guy. But when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, we come up short. And we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Then they are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things which ye would. You ever have that battle going inside, inside your heart? Should I, shouldn't I? You know, one of my, you know, that that that's that's what it is. It's the flesh against the spirit. Paul's desire was that every word and deed that they did would be well pleasing to God. Paul's second desire. Let's talk about it for a minute. He wanted to be an an encouragement to them. He wanted to encourage them. Look at verse seventeen. Comfort your hearts. He wanted to be an encouragement. He wanted to comfort. He wanted, Paul wanted to be a source of encouragement to these believers. Turn back, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Paul's desire in writing First and Second Thessalonians was to be an encouragement, to bring comfort into their lives. Look at verse 10 of First uh, Thessalonians 4. And indeed ye do it toward all brethren which are in the uh, which are are in Macedonia. I'm trying to read too fast, so I'm sorry. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Again, Paul's, Paul's desire was for them to, to 
be encouraged by the Word of God. He, he taught them uh, uh, about the rapture uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, look at verse 15. It says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not uh, prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, wherefore, comfort yourselves with these words. Comfort is something that our world is lacking desperately. People around us, all, all around us, desperately need comfort. I don't know if you've turned on the news lately, but it's not there. The one constant that is in this world is that God never changes. God never changes. His, his love never changes. His mercy, His grace, His patience. I praise God for His patience because it never changes. His judgment, His holiness, His forgiveness. And I could go on and on and on. God never changes. We live in a world of change where, where <clears throat> you turn on the news and, and every time I turn on the news, there is something going on. And, and, and oftentimes I think, boy, does it ever end? And the reality is, no, it doesn't. And until the Lord returns, it's only going to get worse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. I love that. There's a lot of comfort in those words. Let me ask you a question. Do your words and deeds encourage others to the cross? Periodically, I'm asked this question, and, and through time, I've learned to <coughs> answer this question with a question. Don't you hate it when people do that? You know, <clears throat> but periodically people will come to me and say, Pastor, hey, what is, what is wrong with this activity? You know, you fill in the blank. It, do, it really doesn't matter. It could, be, it could be just about anything. Is there, is there anything wrong with whatever? And I, I've learned to say this. Well, does this activity point people to the cross? There's your answer. Now, in itself, there may, there may not be anything wrong with this particular activity. You know, I, I, you know, again, you fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. But what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to get the, the believers 
to understand that everything that they say and everything that they do needs to encourage others to the cross. I have a picture here of a quote that I wanted to share with you. There are rare Christians who <clears throat> whose very presence incites others to be better Christians. I want to be that rare Christian. That was written by A.W. Tozer. I came across this, this quote recently and I I I, I I I fell in love with it. I thought, man, that is that is what I desire for my life. I want to be that rare Christian that when I'm around others, it will it will cause them to have a desire to go to the cross. Be it saved or not saved. It doesn't matter. My I want my life to point people to the cross, period. In everything that I say and everything that I do. His third desire, very quickly here and we'll be done. His third desire, not only did he want to be an encouragement, he wanted to strengthen them. Look at verse 17 again. (coughs) Excuse me. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. The word establish there, uh, it means to strengthen. Or, or another word we could use today is establish, but it's the same. It's the same thing. It's to strengthen, and Paul's desire was to bring strength into their lives. Turn back to First Thessalonians, uh, in chapter three this time. First Thessalonians in chapter three, <clears throat> look at verse two, and sent. Uh, Timotheus, our brethren, to minister of God and our fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ to establish you or strengthen you and comfort you concerning your faith. Paul's desire was to, to, to strengthen and to comfort the believers there. And he sent Timothy to do that very thing. Look at verse 13 and verse 3. To the end, he may establish your hearts uh, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Again, Paul's greatest desire was to establish or to, to strengthen and to comfort the believers there. He cho- he ha- He was... God, for whatever reason, and I I don't know the answer to this, but for whatever reason, God has chosen people to do the strengthening and bring comfort in the lives of other people. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 13, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, 
till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature, stature of the fullness of Christ. God has, has, has given us the task to do the, what Paul's talking about, to, to, to be a comfort, to, to be that strengthening element. There is a great need in churches across our country today for men and women to step up <clears throat> and to take on this vital role. We call this role mentorship. And too often, people are fearful of mentorship. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have uh, rejoicing in himself alone and not in others. Mentorship is something that many people are fearful of because when we take on the role of mentoring someone, we put our own lives under the microscope, do we not? And we open ourselves up to be hurt, do we not? Now let me ask you a question. Do not raise your hand, do not, but answer this question in your heart. Have you ever mentored someone that has hurt you? Well, I can guarantee the majority of you would say absolutely. But that does not give us the right to stop mentoring. We need to keep doing what God has called us to do. Paul was a man who was hurt many, many times. He was lied about. He was falsely, I mean, you name it, it happened to him. But he kept going. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says something here that, that encapsulates mentorship. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he says, <clears throat> Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. What is, what is Paul saying here? Hey, as I follow Christ, you follow me. And that, is the, that, 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 is, that thought right there encapsulates what mentorship is. And that, I believe that that is exactly what Paul was trying to communicate here. Again, we see this being played out in the Old Testament, uh, this idea of mentorship. And let me give you an example. Uh, actually, there are many examples throughout, throughout Scripture, but the one that, that just really popped into my head was in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 8, it says this, uh, Now among these uh, of the children of Judah, okay, let, let me stop here. 
Um, the, the, the Babylonians had come in and they had captured or taken over the nation of Israel. And they had taken out of the nation of Israel many young, promising young men, uh, Daniel being one of them. Okay, so that, that's, what, that's where we're at here. So uh, now among these were the children of Israel, uh, uh, excuse me, the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, unto whom the prince of eunuchs gave, gave names. And he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and Hananiah, Shadrach, and Mishael, uh, uh, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel pur- purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this, to this verse right here. Verse 8. <clears throat> These are all personal pronouns. He did not want to defile himself. Now, in the previous verses, four names are mentioned. Daniel, let me get it right here, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The four names that are mentioned, but it only says that Daniel purposed in his heart. It doesn't say that the other three did. But those of us that know the story <clears throat> what happens later on? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are faced with a decision. And they stand before the king. And the king says, you will either bow and worship my image, a big golden image that he had put up, or you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before the king and they, and, and they say this. Let me, let, me, let me read what they say. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. I love that. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the uh, burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I love these guys. But in Daniel chapter 1 doesn't say anything about them making a decision for God. Only Daniel. Now, I could be wrong, okay? I'm just going based on my opinion here. But I believe it was the mentorship of Daniel that gave those three guys the strength to stand before the king and say, you know what, king? We're not even, we don't even have to think about this. We're not doing it. And had it not been for Daniel, again, this is my opinion, if it had not been for Daniel mentoring those three young guys, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would have bowed to the image of the king. Our world desperately needs people that would be willing to say, I will do the hard thing. I will live my life under a microscope. I will live for God so that I can influence others. You say, but pastor, that's your job. No. No. It, well, let, let me rephrase that. It is my job. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Just as it is your job. You are called to being a mentor as much as I am. I want to go back to that picture, if we could, Chris. The quote of A.W. Tozer. Let me ask you. Is that your desire this morning? Do you have a burning desire to be that rare Christian who everything in your life points others to Jesus Christ? Is that your desire this morning? I hope it is. Paul's burning desire for the Thessalonian believers is that every word that they spoke Every deed that they committed pointed people to the cross. And he wanted to spend his life being an encouragement and a strength so that other people could do that. Where's your life this morning? Where's your life? I can't answer that. I can only speak for myself. And when I read this quote a couple of weeks ago, God burned it into my heart. And I said, and I told God, I said, God, that's the kind of man I want to be. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. <clears throat> Lord, I just ask that you would uh, guide and direct in a very, very special way in our lives. Lord, we, we need you. We need you more than we even know that we need you. And Lord, if we are going to be those kind of people that we live our lives in such a way that everybody that comes across our path is pointed to Jesus Christ, we need you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you, has God spoken to your heart?